Well, good morning. We are in our second week of a quick three-week series on joy. And last week, Joe opened us up by the joy of the Lord. And he reminded us of the great delight that our Lord has in us, so much so that he sent his son to die on a cross for our sin. And this week, our task is to talk about the joy in the Lord and to discover um, how we can receive that and have that. And so to do that, I want to um, tell you about my favorite restaurant, and it is Chewy's. Now, I, I won't be surprised if you have not heard of Chewy's. There's not a lot of them near us, but it started in Austin, where I grew up, and it has moved north and kind of spread out, and they're kind of a little bit all over right now, and our closest one is in Kansas City. There's also one in Missouri, so there's one on the Kansas side, one on Missouri side. I usually go to the Kansas side, in case you care. But my wife and I love to go to Chewy's, and it is one of our favorite things to do to drop the kids at school on a Friday and to go without them to Kansas City and to have a nice, quiet, relaxing lunch together and then go home and tell them all about it, right? (laughs) And so this is my favorite dish there, and it's called the Chewy Changa because it is much better than a chimichanga. Right, and it is, you see it there in all its glory, slathered in the deluxe tomatillo sauce. If you are ever going to go deluxe tomatillo, completely recommend it. But I gotta tell you the truth, I, I really like going there with my wife, and I, I really don't like taking my kids there quite as much. And the reason I don't like taking my kids there is because they don't order the chewy chunga, they, they get the chicken fingers. <laughs> I mean, who does that? When you have all of this abundance of great Tex-Mex placed in front of you and you decide to order the chicken fingers, it breaks my heart. And as we were getting ready for this message on joy, I read another quote that kind of messed with my heart a little bit too. And this one was by C.S. Lewis. And you might know C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia series. My, my wife is reading those to my kids right now. They're just great books. And then he wrote nonfiction books as well. And one of them was called The Weight of Glory. And in The Weight of Glory, he said this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Isn't that true? We are far too easily pleased. Our Father has infinite joy, the chewy changa right in front of us. And so many times we settle for the chicken fingers of this world. The sex and the drink and the ambition and all of the things that we can find. And so our task today is to figure out what is this infinite joy and how can we access it. And to do so, I'm asking you to turn with me to the book of Psalm, chapter 16. Psalm chapter 16. 
If you're here this morning and you do not have a Bible and you want to look at one in front of your face, we have some on the tables in the corners. Um, if you want to get one, please do. If you don't have a Bible and would like to take it home, we offer that as our gift to you. We value having God's Word in the hands of people. And we're going to jump in here on Psalm 16, and we find out it's written by David, and it says, A Mictam of David. And to explain what a miktam is, the best way I can say it is we have no idea. Some people take it as like a song or a liturgical, it's kind of a poem. Some people say it means it's a golden jewel, like a golden nugget that David has given. There's only a few psalms that have that label, but we don't need to understand that word to understand what David is telling us. And so he begins in Psalm 16, verse 1. And he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So why is David saying, preserve me? Again, we don't actually know. This isn't time stamped. We don't know what is going on in David's life that is causing him to write this. But as we read his story in Samuel and in Chronicles, we know that David had a lot of ups and downs. And it would not be uncommon for him to look to the Lord and say, preserve me. Keep me. For in you I take refuge. And then he says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And I feel that that is something that we should just say more often. You are the Lord. I have no good apart from you. Isn't that just a great reminder? You are the Lord. You are the boss. You are in charge. It is not me. And nothing that I have that is good comes from myself. It is all from you. James picks up on this theme and will say, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's from the Father of lights. Father of lights. We have an understanding that our good gifts come from God. And so this begs a question for me. What good does David have? If he says that everything good comes from the Lord, he has nothing good apart from him, what, is the, what are these good things that David has? So let's read these, starting in verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. Here, David is giving thanks for the good gift he has of community, of the saints that he has, the ones that he is running with those ones who are following and pursuing the same things that he does. That's why he calls them saints. And they are running in the same direction for the same things, and David delights in them. He contrasts that with verse 4, and he says, those who are pursuing other things, their sorrows will multiply. And I'm not going to partake in all of the things that they are partaking in. And so what does this mean for us? Does this mean we need to run away from people who do not think like us or believe like us? No, that's not what he's saying at all. Scripture gives us case after case after case where we need to run towards people who need the Lord. But I believe what David is telling us is we need to be careful about the people we're running with. The people that we are running with, we will find delight in them, and we are running with them because we are running after the same things. And so David is giving thanks here. He has joy in the good gift that God has given him of community. He continues in verses 5 and 6. 
He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is saying that I know that I have been given a good lot in life. I have been given a good portion. What has been assigned to me, this life that I'm giving, it has been fulfilling. It has been bountiful. He is thankful for it. We understand the use of that word cup. We see Jesus use that cup in a different way in the New Testament. When he says, if at all possible, take this cup from me. We understand sometimes that the cup that we've been given to bear, the cup that we've been given to drink, sometimes is bitter. But for David, he's saying it isn't bitter, it's beautiful. The lines for me have fallen in a pleasant place. This is the geographical boundary language. He understands that what he has been given as king is bountiful. He has a life of plenty. It is a beautiful inheritance. He has safety and security in the portion that he's been given. And he gives thanks for it. He continues in verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Another good gift that David has is the gift of wisdom. David has been given the gift of wisdom. And in the, heart, in the night, his heart instructs him. Everything that, has, that David has in the area of wisdom comes from him. And so, David gives thanks for that good gift, and then he concludes that verse by saying, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Because all of these good things that the Lord has given him, he says he is before me, he is with me, he is at my right hand in the position of strength. He will not be shaken. And so what are these good gifts that David has been given? In verse three, it's the good gift of community. In verses five and six, It is safety and security and inheritance. In verses 7, it's it's this wisdom. And if we read all of the writings of David and all the stories of David, we would see lots and lots of good gifts that he has been given. And I think it's a good time to ask this question. What good do you have? What are the things that you could take just a moment right now to write down in that little space that's provided? What are those things that you can be thankful for as you look at the blessings that God has poured out in your life? Those portions and cups that you have been given, what can you look back and say, these were a good gift from our good Father? Take a moment, write those down. It is a good thing to give thanks and to bless the Lord for the blessings that he has poured out. But David continues. And I think the reason that he continues is because all of the things he's listed to this point on some level can be seen as chicken fingers. They are all things that can come and go. And if David takes his greatest joy in his community and in his wisdom and his possessions, it's just a matter of time before they can vacate. If our greatest joy comes from the group of friends that we're doing life with, what happens when those friends move or we do? Or what happens when relationships sever? 
if our greatest gifts come from our careers or from the things we accumulate and have, what happens when the pink slip comes or the investment doesn't work out quite the way we wanted it to? If our greatest joy comes in the accumulation of the things that we know and the things that we possess, when we don't have those things anymore, our joy can dissipate. And David is saying there is a greater joy to be had. And so he continues in verse 9. He says, therefore, in light of all of those things, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices because my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see decay. The reason David's hope does not have to go down and his joy does not have to go down is because he understands that his body is secure. His future is secure. God will not let his soul go down to Sheol. That is their understanding of kind of the afterlife then. He knew that wasn't the end, that there was a better hope and a better picture. And then he has this really out of place little line where he says, and let your holy one see corruption. We're going to find out who he was talking about here in a minute. In verse 11, he concludes his psalm with, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God, our greatest pleasure, our greatest joy is not in the things that you provide. It is in being with you. It is you. And so we have to come to a point where we understand where our joy is found. And to do that, we need to better understand what is going on there in Psalm 9 through 11. And to do so, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This will be the only time we flip places today. Acts chapter 2. And while you're getting there, I want to set the context of what's going on in the book of Acts because it's a crazy time in the life of the people of God. Very recently, Jesus has ascended back into heaven and he has told them to gather and to wait for the promised Holy Spirit that would come upon them. And the Holy Spirit comes and we celebrate that day as Pentecost and all of a sudden out of the mouths of these ordinary men and women come the words of the Lord and the gospel in languages that the people could understand. And so they went from having ordinary conversations to the Spirit of God coming and all of a sudden the crowd hearing the gospel in their own language and something peculiar and crazy was happening. And when the crowd does not understand what is happening, they write the only story they can think of. These people are drunk. And Peter says, no, it's way too early for us to be drinking. And something way cooler is happening. In your very presence, Joel 2 is being fulfilled. That the spirit of the Lord is going to come down and your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy and what you are hearing is the work of God now being done in you. And then he began to continue to preach. And I haven't wrote these, or I haven't put these first few verses on the slide because I wanted you to hear them because the people heard them. Now they wouldn't have been in English but I want you to hear where Peter is going. He says, men of Israel, 
Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. You see, when we sit in this room and we talk about Jesus who walked on this earth almost 2,000 years ago, they had a little bit different experience. That Jesus had walked amongst them. They knew him. They probably knew what he looked like. And Peter says, I'm talking about him. Verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I am sure there were whispers of what happened, Jesus going around, and Peter is calling it true. He is saying that Jesus that you knew that you killed, he is no longer dead, he is living. But to prove his point, he reaches way into the past to Psalm 16 And he brings it into the present. He says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He pulls the words of David and shows their meaning. And now he is going to explain the text in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. You know the stories of David. You know that he was the warrior king. You know that he was the greatest leader our people have ever seen. And you know that he died. And he's buried right over there. And his tomb is still with us to this day. When he wrote those words about the Holy One who would not see corruption, he wasn't talking about himself. Here's who he was talking about. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus raised up of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. What is causing all of this? All of this commotion, all of these things that you're seeing and hearing, what is the cause of it? It is the one in whom we find our infinite joy. It is the Holy One whose body did not see corruption. Infinite joy is found only in the Holy One. That's it. 
Peter's whole point of bringing that text is to show that it points to the person of Jesus. And it is in this person that we understand the paths of life and that we are full of gladness in the presence of our God. The resurrection of this Jesus whom they had killed, who had come to live and die for them, this message pierced them to their hearts. And so the audience in that day looked at Peter and they said, what shall we do? And so Peter looks at them and responds in verse 38. And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin so that you might too receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and that you might walk in newness of life. And that day in Jerusalem, 3,000 people stepped forward and trusted in the person and the work of Christ. And they were baptized because this message of their infinite joy being found only in Christ alone pierced their hearts And then in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we understand what these new converts, what these new followers of Jesus did. And it says they gathered together and they ate together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. And they began to serve one another. And they would share with one another and, and, and give to one another so that there was no need in the congregation and that the Lord continued to add to their number. And so how do we discover this joy? We discover this joy when we find and we follow Jesus Christ. Hopefully there is not a week that goes by when you come to this place where you don't hear that. This is who we are as a church. We want to help people find and follow Jesus. And there are people in this room who have come today, whether they thought it was a good thing to do, or they were coming with a friend, or they've been having their heart kind of pulled for a while, but you find yourself here today, and you say, I have never heard that message of Jesus in that way, that he is my joy that he is the one who provided forgiveness for my sin, that only in him can life be, be, be found. And we would hope that today is the day that you would be found by him. And it's really simple to do. There's no special words that you have to say or do. It is your heart believing in the person and the work of Jesus that he is who he said he is and he did what he said he would do. And you simply confess to him and trust that he is the forgiveness of your sin and that he will give you new life. And if you have new eyes to see that today, if that is the joy that you want, we pray that you do something about it before you leave. And whether that is grabbing the person who's next to you and asking them about how you find this Jesus, coming up front and talking to someone, going to the Welcome Center and having a conversation, if he is tugging on your heart to give you that infinite joy, if he is knocking on the door of your heart, let him in and be found by him today.
And for many of us, we have found him. And we understand with our heads that he is to be our greatest joy. And we are called to follow him like they did in Acts 2, 42 through 47, with everything that we have. The way we do that at Fellowship Bible Church is by participating in what we call the discipleship rhythms. And these are what is found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, 42 through 47. And so when we gather here together as a large group or when we gather in life-giving community all over this city, these are the things that we are going to do. And we are going to be daily devoted to the Word of God because we believe that in God's Word, God's Spirit does something within us that helps us look more like Jesus. When we gather together and when we are in all our groups and when we are alone, we are going to be a people of prayer. Not because we believe that you have to have any special words, but because we believe we can talk to God all the time and because of his great delight and joy in us, we can find our great joy and delight in him by telling him the desires and concerns of our heart. We believe that we are going to have freedom from strongholds. We know that when we become a believer, when we are in Christ, when we have found him and he has found us, that we have been freed from sin and shame forever. But as that is being worked out in our lives, we still struggle. And the way to get out of that struggle is to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. And then as we do that, we will find more of our joy in the Lord than in the things that he provides. We're going to love our neighbor. We're going to serve our community. We are going to give sacrificially because we believe the gospel is worth it. And we believe it demands our best and our first. We're going to share our story Because this is our story. Our story is that we look to find our joy in lesser things, but we have now found that our joy is only made complete in Christ. And we have been found by him, and we have a story and something to share with the rest of the world. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate every time something that is lost is found. We're going to celebrate every time that someone chooses to follow Jesus with their whole heart. And so church, who are we going to be? Are we going to be the people of the chicken fingers? Are we going to be the people who stop at all of those good things that God gives us? Are we going to take our greatest joy in the lesser things? Or are we going to give thanks for the lesser things knowing they come from the greater one? Are we going to have more thanks for the giver than for his gifts? Because only in doing so will we truly understand what joy in the Lord is. Because our joy in the Lord is just that. It is joy in the person of Jesus Christ. Will you stand and let me pray over you as we leave? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to come together as a family around your word and around your praise. 
And Father, we are thankful for all of the good gifts that you provide. Scripture is full of them, of all the ways that you have blessed and provided for us. But Father, may we not get our heart hung up on the lesser things. May we understand that the greatest gift that you have ever given us is Jesus. And Father, through his coming in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. He has conquered sin, death, and the grave, and he has given us eternal life, a life spent forever with you. Father, may that be our greatest joy. May we take so much joy in the relationship that we have with you that we can't help but go out from this place into our world, into our homes, and share it with everyone else so that they can have this joy too. Father, bless us this week as we seek to honor you with all we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.